create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. Do you believe in the power of labels? Now, I'm not talking about labels on jars. I'm talking about the labels we give to other people and the ones they give to us. Just how powerful are they? Well, they're as powerful as you allow them to be. If you unconsciously give power to labels, they can sometimes be very, very harmful. Hey, hello once again and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I am your host, Louis DiBianco. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, and if you like it, leave us a five-star rating, a short review, and click subscribe. This will help the show to stand out and reach more people. Now you can also hear us on Stitcher, and absolutely visit changeyourstorypodcast.com, where you can listen as well as see photos of the guests and read a bit about them, and Claim your free gift, an ebook, Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. Hey, get excited, because today's guest is a woman who really knows the power of labels. She devotes her time helping people understand and heal from the damage and pain caused by negative labels. Her name is Jenny Friedman. She's a professional ADHD coach and podcaster. She has a wonderful podcast called See in ADHD that airs five days a week and is available for free through iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. She helps her clients strengthen their skills in organization, time management, and self-awareness. She also teaches executive functioning through workshops and presentations Jenny specializes in business development through HDHD group coaching, as well as her membership coaching group called Reach Further. I am really honored and excited to introduce a new friend and professional entrepreneur to the show. Hey, Jenny, thanks for being here today. Hey, Louis, thank you so much for having me. Hey, listen, um, as soon as I listened to your podcast, I said, I definitely want to interview that woman. It was totally um, engaging and important. So let's start at the beginning. Where were you born? I was born in Helena, Montana. Oh. I was going to say to a, to a preacher and his wife. They adopted me. So I'm adopted in Montana. <laughs> oh, because now you live in um, in Long Island, New York. Mm-hmm. So how long did you live in Montana? Uh, I actually was there maybe two years. And being a Methodist minister, my father was relocated quite often. So as a child, I moved to 
a couple places in Montana and Washington State and started school in Chicago, Illinois. And then for second through eighth grade, we moved to Nashville, Tennessee. And then, oh, I'm sorry, through seventh. And then eighth grade through high school, I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I've been around. Wow. wow. <laughs> now, uh, did you have uh, siblings in that adopted family? Yes. My younger sister is two and a half years younger, and she is my parents' natural born child. So w what was growing up like? Well, you know, I think I had a, quote, normal family, <laughs> um, because you don't know any different, you know. Growing up in my household, there was a lot of love, and there was also a lot of confusion, and a lot of crazy, sort of, you know, a lot of chaos. You want to talk about some of that? Sure. I mean, I, I attribute it now, you know, in hindsight, everything's more clear, and I attribute it now to my dad had bipolar, and uh, he did get diagnosed for that, but he also had undiagnosed ADHD, and so does my sister and her family, and I have lots of cousins with it. So it just makes for certain behaviors that, you know, you don't know why the person never remembers their keys or why the person always leaves the door open or... Just these little things that we all do sometimes, but when they happen all the time, chronically, it, it, it can make a different environment, <laughs> say yeah. that way. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But uh, other than those little uh, eccentricities, that, that was it? You didn't see anything more extreme? Well, no, I did. Um, for example, every summer my dad would be working on his dissertation for his PhD. And every summer he would say, okay, well, we can't go on vacation until I finish my paper. This was every year. He sat in the backyard. I, I can see him like it was yesterday in this sort of daydreamy gaze on his face and he's got his notepad out. He's not writing anything. And my mother would go crazy and be really angry and it was just, you know, as a kid, oh, that's just how it was. But, like, it was very stressful that I didn't know what was going on. But you you tend to just adapt, you know. Well, we're not going on vacation again this year. You know, I always, I think he meant it when he said it, but it just never happened. You know, there was did a he, lot of things he would say he would do and he wouldn't do. Did he ever complete his PhD? No, he did not. He actually ended up committing suicide when he was 51. My so God, I, how, old, how old were you? I was uh, 20. Woo. Mm -hmm. You had a few things to adjust to. Yeah, yeah. He had been on lithium for his bipolar, and he stopped taking the medication, and he divorced my mother, and he met another woman, and he married her, and then the next thing you know, He's, he's done that. So no one knew what was going on because of all the hurt. You know, when you've divorced someone and saying, I don't love you anymore. And they've been married 27 years. So my mother was, she moved back to another state to be near her family. I was already going off to college when all this was going on. So I wanted no part of it. So it sort of was like the family got fractured by all of this, 
you know, we didn't really realize that he had stopped taking his meds. That's what was really going on. Wow. You know, what's fascinating to me about this is that um, you've heard of the um, uh, the late French philosopher, author, Jean Genet. Mm-hmm. He made a great point. He said, it really doesn't matter what life makes of you or what does to you. What matters is what you make of that. And so you started by saying it was a fairly normal childhood, and yet it <laughs> seemed like there was a lot of emotional disruption and chaos. So how did it affect you when it was first happening? Well, see, that's the, that's the funny thing is I don't think when you're in it, you realize that you're being affected because it is your normal. It is your daily what you deal with. And it takes some separation sometimes from that to say, oh, that's not how the whole world is? Oh, okay. And so when did you first start to um, become aware of the impact it had on you? Well, I can tell you that I think 10 years after, like when I was 30, I realized that I had, wow, I just spent the last 10 years doing some pretty, you know, self-destructive things. I think I was very angry at my dad. And I think that came off in how I would socialize with, you know, I was out with the party crowd. I was bartending, so I was like in this element of, you know, there was lots of drugs and alcohol all around me. And I remember thinking, this is not normal. This is not healthy. I don't need to be involved in all this. And I actually did move from North Carolina to California just to get away from absolutely everyone I knew. (laughs) So that I could start over, like, and be a a healthier, happier person. Now, did that help when you moved? Yeah, it did. It gave me a lot of perspective. And I really then realized it wasn't, I mean, I could blame my family, but really it was my reaction to my family. And that's on me. When you say self-destructive, can you talk about that? Well, just staying out all night. When you got to be at work at eight in the morning and then you're running late, like that's self-destructive. That's, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. no need to be out, you know, partying or going to bars or going to parties or going to clubs when you actually have obligations and responsibilities that, you know, I'd be running late for work because I was tired. I didn't, I slept two hours sometimes. That's, that's, that's what I mean by self-destructive. And so what specifically began to change when you got to California? I started taking care of myself in a better way. But even that was, it was very slow in the making. I mean, that was, I was only in California for a few years. So by the time I got to New York, I was 27. And I would say that's really when I started getting better. So if I was 20 when he died, maybe seven years. I've rounded it up to 10. But like I think after, after seven years then, between seven and 10 years, I really was much more interested in taking care of myself. I also had a daughter. I had gotten pregnant and had a daughter. So that changed my whole world. And how old were you when you had the daughter? 26. 
Oh, wow. Now, I guess that those that emotional turmoil affected um, your early relationships, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I just wasn't getting in healthy relationships. It was hey, like can, being attracted to the bad boys kind of a complex. I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, believe me, I've, I'm, I've been attracted to the bad girls for most of my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're fun, so, right? <laughs> yeah, and they, they certainly satisfy a certain need for a dark side that we have in us, whether it's good for us or not. Right. You know, but this is great because um, what it's telling me is that you had a certain kind of story that wasn't serving you well. And eventually you did change that story into something very positive, And that's that's wonderful. Now, you know, what was your first way of responding to and coping with what you call the ADHD and other issues in your immediate family. Like, when did you become aware that that's what was going on? That I got to tell you, so much later, about, um, I want to say seven years ago. Seven okay. years ago is when I learned about ADHD. My sister and I, our mother was actually very sick, and we both had to stay together um, for a couple weeks. And she was absolutely driving me nuts. And she, we got in a little fight, and she goes, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I think this is my ADHD. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what is, I think I had heard of it before, but I didn't know what it was. And she said, oh, my doctor says that it's a processing disorder. So, like, you'll say something to me, and it sort of, like, I hear you, but, like, it doesn't sink in. It just sort of, like, rolls off down the street and into the gutter. And I was, I was like, great. <laughs> so so you, you're not listening to me. Great. And um, so that was the first time I had ever heard of it. And I was watching her do things that I just couldn't understand. Like, we, we needed to get out of the house and go back to the hospital. Like, that was important to do. And she, at that moment, decided to sit down and start clipping coupons. And I was like, what are you doing? She's like, well, I just need to cut some coupons first. I'm like, we don't have time for this. And, you know, so seeing those behaviors that made no sense and then being told it was ADHD made me really curious to go and find out about it. So I started, you know, online researching it. And I found this place called ACA which is the ADD Coach Academy. And at the time, I was also contemplating a career change. It was just like a coincidence. So when I saw ADD Coach Academy, I was like feeling very inspired, like it was a calling to, oh, I'll do that. Um, because I had just gotten my degree in psychology. So instead of going to get, you know, keep going and getting a PhD in psychology, I thought I could be a coach. And maybe I could help people like my sister. And that's when I really started learning about it. So th that's great. Now, bef so prior to this awareness, what were you thinking you were going to do as a career? I thought I would be a psychologist. Okay. 
And there was an earlier question I didn't get to, but it certainly relates now. Um, a lot of kids have a certain childhood dream of something they want to be when they grow up. Did you? You know, I, I played around with the idea of being an acrobat. I remember that was a big one. I loved gymnastics. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, no, I'll be an actress because then I could pretend to be anybody but me. Mm. And I, it was never about like fame and fortune kind of acting. It was like really pretending to be other people. So I think that's very telling that I probably wasn't as happy as, it, it, you know, I look back and think, no, I was happy. I don't, I don't know how happy I was <laughs> because I say things like that and I even say, hmm. <laughs> so, you know, to your question, no, I didn't have any driving passion that focused me throughout my life, no. Did you ever pursue acting? No. Oh. I, I, in my imagination. Yeah. Well, you know that behind a lot of great actors is that that need to not be themselves. I mean, to live in other identities because they just don't know how to comfortably and live inside of who they are without great pain. Well, yeah, and we moved around so much when I was little. I think, you know, I was terribly shy. And I thought, oh, if only, you know, I could fit in. I just wanted to be like everybody else. And so to me, it was like pretending, which was like acting. I was like, I could just be, I could just pretend to be like this cool kid. Because I know I'm not. You know, that kind of thought process. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I'm an actor, so... I, uh, yeah, I, I, I know these, um, that terrain, that emotional and psychological terrain. Yes, I know it very well. You know, so when you got excited about researching ADHD, um, take us on that journey, how it developed into the career that you have today. So when I saw it, the ADD Coach Academy, one of the things they offer is this three-month course, which is called Simply ADD, or Simply ADHD. And so you could sort of this, you know, start there if you did nothing else. I, of course, wanted to do the whole program because I was like, no, I'll just become a coach because this is fabulous. This will utilize my psychology background. But I also really appreciate the coach approach, which is that, you know, people are creative, resourceful, and whole, just the way they are, that they're not really broken. And the psychology mindset is more like you need to remediate to become normal. So I, I like the coach approach. That appealed. And the Simply program, once I started, it was like the whole world just, I don't know, something I never knew just changed everything. It made everything, learning about ADHD made everything make sense now. Why my sister was the way she was and cousins and stuff. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, that was dad. Mm. And it just, because my dad and our family, see, he was like my best friend. So it was like he would be doing things that made no sense. Mom would get all mad. And I was really upset and affected by her anger towards him. Because I felt so like I identified with him. 
Mm-hmm. And we even sort of looked alike, which was such a funny thing since I was adopted. It was just a coincidence. But I just, he just meant the world to me. And, and you know, so I, I think that also is what's made this profound connection for me to the ADHD community. It's, uh, you know, someone told me recently that when you grow up with ADHD in your family, you also sort of have ADHD, like in a way, because it's just the environment. It affects everyone in the home. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So learning about it just turned me on because it just was like, this is me and my world, you know? Even though my brain wiring isn't that specifically, it is a lot of me. I mean, in fact, a lot of people are like, are you sure you don't have it too? I'm like, no, I, I, every time I've tested, taken a test, it says no. <laughs> but I, I, I definitely seem to be very open and understanding of it on a very deep level. Can you take us a bit through the, um, the, the evolution of your career? So after you complete the program with ACA, and I also I have a bachelor's in psychology, and I've got this 15 or 16-month program under my belt, you become, um, there's a certification process that, depending on how much education you have, which I've done all the education, the formal education piece, and you have to have so many hours, and I've done all the hours. So you get certified through ICF, which is the International Coaching Federation. Mm-hmm. And you every year have to keep up. I want to say it's fifty. They've changed it. I think from thirty to fifty um, ICUs. So you're just continually getting education to maintain your credentialing. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, I believe so. I mean, yeah. so. But um, did you expect? Because it sounds like you do this work. You do it independently, like as an entrepreneur. Oh, I'm you, an independent entrepreneur businesswoman. Oh, yeah. This right. is When you become a coach, you will end up spending, you know, maybe 20 to 30%, they say, coaching clients. And the other 60 to 80% is spent marketing yourself. Mm-hmm. So did you ever consider doing it differently, like working your skills within an organization or that's just not you um you know it's funny it's just not there's not many organizations that hire coaches um there's a few coaches that have teamed up with other coaches to create a thing like that Mm -hmm. but in my opinion you might as well be on your own because there's no difference there Mm -hmm. um it, and, you know, there's there's a, one company that hires coaches and sort of like a broker that negotiates a lower rate so that the client gets free coaching and the coach gets a client but for a discounted rate. So that didn't really appeal to me either because I thought, well, that's still not different from doing my own thing. Mm-hmm. And I guess I, I do have an entrepreneurial, like, you know, streak in me. I do like connecting with people i do like that end of it like the marketing social end of it is fun for me so 
I think some people get bogged down by it, but I, I seem to enjoy it. So. <laughs> well, that's a blessing. It really is. It really is. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Now, is formal personal development important to you? By that, I mean courses, seminars, books specifically aimed at developing personal growth. Yes, I would say it's important to me. How much time I have invested in that has varied over the years. I used to do a lot more of it than I do now. Um, I used to read a lot of books and watch uh, Oprah, <laughs> you know, and mm -hmm. to get new ideas and expand my awareness. Um, now I'm so busy really helping other people do that that I, you know, it's funny you ask that because I, I, I definitely have enjoyed learning about myself and you really learn about yourself mostly through interactions with others. So burying your head in a book only does you so, so much. And you got to go out and practice it. Oh, you absolutely do. Uh, are there any seminar leaders, any thought leaders that you have studied with that made an impact on your life? I've never formally studied with Tony Robbins, and I know I, a lot of people poo-poo this, but I think he's fabulous in a lot of ways. I've, I've enjoyed him. I've gotten really, mo I enjoy the way he motivates people. I think that's you, a skill. You know what? Uh, I want to comment on what you said. The people who uh, put him down uh, are only responding to a judgment that they have that they form from what they've seen on the media. If you experience this guy, <coughs> excuse me, and really understand what he's doing, there's no way that you're going to be putting him down. He is truly an evolved person, and it's more than motivation. Well, that's how I feel. I mean, I've yeah. watched, if I tell my clients to, you know, pick a person, um, Brendan Burchard is someone, oh, you know, actually I have bought programs of his. I stand corrected. Brendan Burchard is awesome. Yeah. Um, but Tony Robbins was the first one that got me going, wow, there's more to me than I know, <laughs> you know, which was really cool. Do you have Netflix I do, but I well, don't watch it that often. Well, I recommend that you look for this documentary that's on Netflix called Anthony Robbins, I Am Not Your Guru. I know. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it yet. I will. I definitely will. That's exciting. It's a game changer. And anybody who doesn't really understand what he does should watch that. And then they'll understand how powerful and important this guy's work is he he literally saves and transforms lives with his the way he his understanding of how what's going on inside a person when you watch that you'll notice that whenever he interacts with somebody in his seminar no matter what they're saying no matter what the words are he sees through the words to what's really going on underneath. The meaning, yeah. Oh, and he has a way of calling them on it that is direct, in your face, at the same time, it's very compassionate. So people are comfortable with it. 
Right. Uh, it's tough love. I mean, he calls people on some pretty heavy stuff. But you'll see. You go, wow, he's right. You know, it's yeah. Um, it's definitely, definitely worth watching. I'm glad. I'm glad we got on that little, uh, um, that little topic. Yeah, you know, it's funny thinking about it. The people that I know that poo pooed it happen to also have ADHD, and I've talked about this with a couple of them, and I think they don't like. He doesn't resonate with them because mm -hmm. there's an aspect of motivation that is different in the ADHD brain because of the brain chemistry. And it's funny because like the people that, you know, and that's a blanket statement. Like I don't want to say, oh, if you have ADHD, you don't like Tony Robbins because that's not true at all. Not what I'm saying. It's just interesting because I just thought about when you said that about, because I thought, well, who was poo-pooing that? Because I'm, I'm a fan, but you know, I did preface it by saying, I know not everybody's a fan. <laughs> So what would be different in their brain chemistry in terms of how they're motivated? That's fascinating. Well, part of it has to do with a neurotransmitter called dopamine. Mm -hmm. And in ADHD, there's a naturally lower level of this. And so it's sometimes really hard to get engaged and motivated and stimulated to do something when already just naturally you don't have that thing giving you the oomph. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a very subconscious thing. It's not, you know, it comes off looking like lazy um, to some people. And it's, it's not about being lazy. It's about, no, I cannot engage with that because it's not interesting enough to me. Mm -hmm. And interest, interest stimulates this dopamine production. When we are jazzed about things, our brains produce dopamine. So... It helps us become more engaged and in, you know, in, in gear to do the things that we need to do or motivated to stay with something even when there's no immediate payoff. All of that goes to the side with ADHD because there's this brain chemistry component that is just this natural way of how you operate if you have low dopamine. Mm -hmm. That's that's very interesting. I, I never really... Well, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, I never heard it quite put that way. Now, do you feel that sometimes terms like ADHD can be labels that actually hinder a person's growth? You know, this is such a great question that I have evolved over the last almost four years of my involvement with ADHD. I used to say well, hey, the label of ADHD is better because, well, it's not an excuse, at least it's an explanation for why you're seeing certain behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. And instead of saying that someone's lazy, it's better to know, oh, they have ADHD, and that's what you're looking at. And so the label of ADHD is better than the label of lazy, right? And then I had someone who, a Twitter follower of mine, called me out. And she challenged me. She said, you know, as long as you are calling ADHD a label, you're perpetuating this stigma. And I was like, what? No, I'm not. I'm making things better by calling it out for, you know, 
it's better to know it's what it is than than these other labels, right? And but it just stuck in my head. I couldn't shake it, and I kept thinking and thinking and thinking. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, I see what she's saying. ADHD is not a label. ADHD is a diagnosis." Well, it starts as a diagnosis, but it can become a label that people will embrace and then start to live into all the negative aspects of it, which is what I call living into a negative story. I suppose, but I i guess I don't see those people. I think when people come to coaching, mm-hmm. they are not trying to live into some negative story. They're trying to embrace their natural way of being in the world and you know, perform better. No, I, I don't think that people would consciously try to live into that. Um, first of all, you know, we're making, I'm making an assumption here that everyone listening knows exactly what those letters stand for. So, <laughs> right. ADHD, spell it out for us. What do the words mean? Well, I will preface this by saying I think it's a really stupid name that doesn't really work but we call it ADHD is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and the reason why it's gotten that name is because we're looking at what looks like a deficit of attention and hyperactivity and it's you know off the charts in the you know so they call it disorder because it's not really within the typical way people behave. And the attention part of it, while for sure attention is affected by your brain chemistry this way, it's almost like the person has too much attention. They have attention to this and attention to that and attention to this and attention to that. So it's almost like they, they can't inhibit what they're paying attention to instead of having a deficit. So that's why I think the name is pretty stupid. Um, And the hyperactivity is also, you know, a lot of people that have ADHD think they don't because they don't have, they're not hyperactive little boys running all around. So they're like, no, I'm perfectly fine to sit still and I daydream off as I'm quietly sitting in a classroom. I don't have ADHD. But the term really is describing also the inner mental restlessness so of the brain constantly going and going and going. So for right now, we're sticking with that label. I think for sure one day it will change as our understanding of it changes. But the label itself, the, the, the ADHD terminology, definitely does not help us with stigma it, no, no. at all, for sure. Uh, do you think there's some cases where a person is diagnosed as ADHD and what you're really looking at is a person with um, a higher level of imagination and creativity? I think that absolutely there's a lot of people misdiagnosed, um, but not for that. Typically, if they're if they're label they get the diagnosis of ADHD and that's the wrong diagnosis it really could be because they have you know something else wrong with them like bipolar or you know some kind of depression or you know these other morbid conditions 
that are not exactly ADHD but have similar symptoms. But when you're looking at someone who's really creative and thinks outside of the box and they get labeled ADHD but they don't have it, is that what you're saying? They don't have it but they're labeled with that? Well, they don't have it in the sense that their their behavior is not what the average behavior is in society. It's definitely outside the norm. And so people need to codify it and put a name on it. But these people are often incredibly creative and doing amazing things in the world. Well, right. And so I, I think that, you know, the truth is I'd like for everyone to know that ADHD does not affect your intelligence. So there's some very brilliant people who have ADHD and extremely creative, out-of-the-box thinkers, for sure, within that population. Absolutely. Wasn't Einstein one of them? You know, who knows? Because <laughs> he's gone now. We don't know. I have heard <laughs> that. I don't know. Uh-huh. I, I always laugh when I first started doing this. At, you would see this list of um, famous people, you know, that were all dead. And I was like, why are they doing this? This isn't helping because we'll never know. But I did watch a Teddy Roosevelt documentary. And mm-hmm. I was like, they never, ever mentioned it. But I'm like, oh, he had ADHD. Mm. It, it's fascinating to watch that documentary about him. He just had every classic symptom that you could think of. and Like what? Well, he couldn't sit still. And he was very into going to high-risk, you know, hunting. And he was adventurous. And he, you know, m- missed, a, like, the mundane missing appoint- you know, appointments and stuff wasn't his thing. He was always off and running and doing exciting things. And he was also about big ideas, you know. But physically, he couldn't sit still. And he kept, uh, with his fingers, he'd rub them together. And even in pictures, you see him sitting on his hands because he couldn't sit still for pictures. And, wow. yeah, it, I can't remember all the reasons, but those are some that stick out right now. If you watch the documentary, though, you, you might you might go, oh, I see. <laughs> well, because a lot of the stuff that you were describing, I'm going, hey, that's great. That That's a very charismatic and energetic and uh, fascinating human being. Mm-hmm, right. You know? Absolutely. And that's the deal. If you have ADHD, that doesn't mean you can't be a charismatic, fabulous human being. Well, I'll go a step further. Maybe sometimes that actually contributes to it, to, to these well, positive that's, qualities. Well, that's the argument. You know, you hear a lot of people say, oh, it's a gift. You know, without my ADHD, I wouldn't do all the amazing, wonderful things that I do. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it can contribute to your genius. Um, but it's very individual, and it, you know, as people, we are a whole person. Some people really, really struggle. They really can't retain information long enough to use it in a helpful right. way. Right. So they are in the you know contextually maybe they're not in the right environment to thrive. You know, if you if you have a hard time sitting still, probably shouldn't work at a cubicle. You know. <laughs> Listen, uh, I certainly shouldn't work at a cubicle, and I get a feeling that you shouldn't either. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this whole thing about labels is fascinating to me because they're useful 
we need them, and yet, if a person responds to them um, in a way that disempowers them, they can be very damaging. You're familiar with the um, uh, with Les Brown? No. Uh, you would love Les Brown. He is uh, a motivational speaker. He is a um, he's known for uh, teaching people not only to um, reach their higher potential, but also he's a, an expert in presentation skills, public speaking. Mm, okay. Now, what's what's fascinating about Les? I've uh, I've met him quite a few times. He's a wonderful human being. He, as a child, was actually labeled educable, mentally retarded. And, and he believed it. Mm. And he tells this wonderful story about going to, uh, to school one day, and the teacher called him up and said, Les, I want you to write on the board. And he said, no, no, sir, I can't do that. He said, why? He says, because I'm not the smart brother. He says, what do you mean? He says, well, I'm the retarded one. Oh. Now, the teacher called him up. He, he never forgot this because it was a turning point in his life. The teacher called him up. He said, son, I want you to go up and write on the board. He said, I can't do it. He said, listen to me. Don't ever let another person's opinion of you become your opinion of yourself. He wrote on the board Gradually, he began to get a more positive self-image. And the irony is that this guy who never finished higher education has been a coach to Fortune 500 companies. He turned himself into a millionaire, a multimillionaire. He's achieved things that had he stayed with that label, he never would have achieved. Right. Isn't that incredible? Well, that's, I, I know that story, you know, I mean, I know him, but that story is out there with several, you know, probably millions of people mm -hmm. worldwide. Well, I would love now for you to tell us about your podcast, what it's about, who it's for, and what's your intention behind the show? So, seeing ADHD became what I was saying when I kept talking to people about what I was learning about ADHD. I was like, if you can see what I'm talking about, you know, then you would get it. Like that was, you know, the C part was like the understand. And so sort of a play on words, I suppose, was because you can't see in ADHD. <laughs> but, you know, if you see what's going on and you get it, then you don't have the stigma anymore. You lose all the judgment against right. it. Mm -hmm. So that's the purpose of the show. It is for people that have ADHD and for people who, you know, I say live and love them. Um, I think there isn't a person on the planet who would benefit from listening to the show because you're listening to stories of people and they do all different kinds of things. And the thing also with ADHD is it varies in how it affects you and impacts your life. So some people I've had on the show, they don't even know if they have it. They think they might. We talk about that. 
I have other people that are um, severely ADD, you know, and we talk about that. So it's all walks of life, all kinds of people, all degrees of, you know, how it affects them or family members or careers. There's not anything it doesn't talk about. I try to keep it to 30 minutes. I could go on and on forever talking to people, so I, I really have to rein it in. But I enjoy, um, I enjoy making it. People seem to really, I can't, I, don't, I can't imagine running out of people to come on the show. And they estimate 15 million people have ADHD. So I'd be hard pressed to not find guests. And we just talk about it. And I've had a lot of great feedback. People are feeling understood, feeling like, um, wow, that guy was talking and that was me. You know, that could have been me saying that. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of that going on, which is awesome. You know, I've, I'm thrilled to be a part of that. Um, I definitely educate people about coaching as I can in, in the conversations. But most of the conversations don't, you know, they don't talk about me or coaching or anything. <laughs> they really just, we either talk about ADHD or we talk about this person and, and their life. People are very interesting. I, I love to meet people. I mean, you know, the bit that I heard was extremely fascinating. Now, you coach, you do a podcast, and you do other kinds of executive training. So what kind of contribution do you make with each of these things that you do? Well, I hope I'm contributing overall to just decreasing stigma around mental health issues, especially ADHD. I know that's important to me because of my family. I wish I had understood my dad when maybe it would have made a difference. So there's other people that are just like me, you know, and I'm hoping to help them by talking about it. I think everything I do is to that end. Now, in terms of the executive training that you do, like what kind of training do you do? So, yeah, I have a couple groups that I work with and one is online it's um, a paid you know membership you know for 20 bucks a month and we do group coaching so it's very low barrier price point and it gets people sort of started on that pathway to see if coaching would be something they would be interested in and then I also have a business development coaching group that runs for eight weeks and then eight weeks and then eight weeks so it's always going on with different people that costs more but it's really helping people that have ADHD learn how to be entrepreneurs for themselves and the skill sets that don't come naturally to them we help them you know set up systems and supports for themselves so that they can make an income you know a lot of times with ADHD keeping a job is hard um, the expectations put on you by your boss can be things that just naturally don't work for you. And so setting up a life where you are making your livelihood, doing something you're really into and you're really good at, that's the goal. And so helping them learn how to set up all of the, the things they need to be able to do that is what I do. Well, that's that's. <laughs> quite significant. I mean, it sounds like the work you do helps people to develop and strengthen their self-esteem. Oh, for sure. 
I mean, that's the number one issue with all of this um, being in the world in a, in a different way or feeling different. That really, really, really affects your self-esteem, which really, really affects how you are in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Now, how has your own entrepreneurial work impacted your particular self-image? I think... Does that, does that question make sense? <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. I had to think about it. I'm like, how do I see myself now that I've been making, helping make a difference for people? Yeah, like as, as you grew into... Uh, dealing with your anger, understanding uh, the puzzle that was in your life better, and then actually creating a career out of it, this must have impacted your own sense of self. Yes, I think that it's been very healing for me okay. to have other people be where I was. Like, in the, It's validating that I have come so far you know it's like yeah all that suffering and hard work of dealing with you know anger and grief it's worth it the processing is worth it because now i can help others Hmm. that is a wonderful achievement jenny it really is so where would you see yourself in five years that's a fun question, too, because I see myself being like I am, only I hope to reach so many more people. You know, I have a really, I just hit 100,000 downloads with my podcast. So that's exciting. There's, that is. Yeah. 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 In five months, it's been exciting. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I know I'm. I know I'm doing something right. And I would like to see in five years that that platform develop. I, I have plans on starting a dot org that's tied to that mm -hmm. because I think awareness building is what I'm doing now. But awareness building only helps so much. And and believe me it helps. But I would like to get uh, an organization set up so that there's real financial help for some of these people that need you know, there's, like you said, a lot of creative people have ADHD, and they could create, but they can't sustain, you know, creating and living. So I like to bridge that gap somehow by maybe helping people afford art supplies, or if they're making a film, help them afford, you know, some of that cost so that people can keep creating and producing for themselves and make a livelihood for themselves and be productive in society. So that if, if I could do that in five years, whoo, I would be thrilled because that's, that's sort of a, a bigger plan. That's a wonderful vision. That's a wonderful vision. Now, what do you do for fun? What are your hobbies and pastimes? Thank God my job is fun. <laughs> 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 I guess I get a lot of fun out of meeting people like you and talking on my podcast all the time. I will say I probably devote, I don't know, what, 80 hours a week to what I do. Uh, there's okay. not, I don't have really hobbies. Um, I certainly enjoy watching movies, 
with my kids and my husband. Like we'll, we just got finished with the last of the Harry Potter series. That was fun to look forward to every week. You know, Saturday night, sit down and watch a movie together. So I'm pretty tame. I don't. <laughs> I like to go to the beach if I can. That's fun. Well, you know, uh, if you're watching movies with the family, you wouldn't be watching most of the films that I've been in. I've been in a lot of movies, but um, I've made my career playing gangsters. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so they're fun films, but they're not all appropriate for kids. <laughs> right. No, I've been living like in Disney, you know, my daughter, yeah, I yeah. had her when I was 26. She is now 23 almost. Uh -huh. And my son is 10. So I've been in this perpetual Disney kind of, you know, kid movies for 20-something <laughs> years. I'm a little out of touch probably. No, that's cool. That's, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> So, how can people contact you? I have a website, which is cnadhd.com. And I'm also everywhere, like all the social platforms, SCNADHD, which is S-E-E-I-N-A-D-H-D. I am very accessible on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram. I even tried Snapchat. Um, I'm on there. I haven't figured out quite how to use that one masterfully yet, but it's a lot of fun reaching out to people, having people reach out to me. I, I like to talk, so I'm very easy to reach, and I will get back to everybody. I, you can also email me at jenny at cnadhd.com. Fantastic. And do you have any closing comments that you'd like to make, uh, something you want to leave people with? I would just challenge everyone to, when you think of labels and categorizing, you know, it is very helpful for us to sort of know what we're dealing with. So I think that's why we do that. But to challenge you to maybe open your mind a little more and think, you know, there could be something going on that I know nothing about. And maybe just be a little more accepting of how people are. You know, that's wonderful because it's so important what you just said to set aside our judgments because labels can lead us to making judgments and judgments will close our minds down. And you're encouraging people to stay open. That is wonderful. Jenny, I cannot thank you enough. This has been quite a treat for me. Oh, uh, me too. Wonderful. And I know that people listening are going to get great value from this. And I look forward to continuing to interact with you in our wonderful podcast community. Once again, thank you so much. A sincere thanks to everyone who listened to the show today. And remember that you can listen to this and other episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and at changeyourstorypodcast.com. Also, if anything inspired you, you can also reach out to me at lewis at changeyourstorypodcast.com and I will share your comments with the rest of the world on an upcoming show. I want to leave you with these thoughts. Have you been living with any negative labels that you've taken for granted? Have they affected how you see yourself in the world? 
If you don't like the way they make you feel, change them right now. Create new labels. Affirm them until you feel them. Trust them. Believe them. Live into them. And then you will truly change your story and change your life. Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.